Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Saving Lives in Slow Motion. Today I'm going to be talking about consultations. Now, a consultation is simply an interaction between two people where one is seeking some sort of therapeutic help from the other, such as a doctor and a patient. It's a pretty important thing to get right because everything in terms of how uh, both parties communicate about a health problem or other problems hangs off this thing called the consultation. Now, remarkably... When I was at medical school in the early 90s, we weren't really taught very much about how to consult with patients. It was very much a case of learning the medicine and then taking a history. And it was all very, very mechanical. So you took a history, which basically means getting the story off a patient, and then you examined them, and then you sent them for some investigations or tests, and then you come up with a treatment plan. But in terms of how to communicate um, to get something meaningful out of that interaction, that was seriously lacking. And I know nowadays at medical schools, they're really hot on communication skills, for want of a better term, and, and also just connection. Now, it's all well and good saying that. We are working and living in quite unusual times. So the way that we consult has changed. So if we go back in time... Um, and think for a minute about the doctor-patient relationship and how that has changed. It certainly used to be quite paternalistic. Doctor knows best, they tell you what to do, you listen to the advice, go away and do what they say. And in most parts of the world, that's not so much the case anymore. And we'll look at the reasons why, and also the benefits of why there may be a better way and why and how things have changed over the years. And also, most importantly, possibly, how you can get the most out of your consultations. So certainly, going back in time to the 50s, which is really where I'd I'd like to start, you know, 70 years ago, there was a psychoanalyst called Michael Barlint, who, with his wife Enid, actually studied the interactions of many doctors and patients looking at um, the interaction between a GP and their patient. And the key findings for them were 
really quite interesting that firstly listening is really important so in a consultation if you just constantly ask someone questions his view was that you only get answers but listening in itself can be a very effective tool um, in terms of how the patient feels and interestingly their view was that one of the most powerful drugs, if you like, was the doctor herself or himself, um, something that's known as the doctor as a drug or the drug doctor. And it also echoes the work across the Atlantic of Milton Erickson, who was a psychiatrist and psychologist who did a similar thing and analysed hundreds of consultations of various sorts between doctors, therapists and patients and found that the patients who seemed to respond better were the ones who weren't talked down to or patronised and were respected in the consultation. And as soon as there was any hint of the doctor being very, what we call doctor-centred, you know, that paternalistic, patronising sort of approach, the outcome was more likely to be a bad one. And by that I mean the patient making a complaint or not feeling better or getting better. And that era of doctor-centeredness, which, you know, is, is, is in living memory. I mean, it's not that long ago where, you know, the doctor is God and all that sort of stuff comes with problems because it, it, the lens really is about um, what the doctor or the medical team think is necessary and doesn't really value patient experience, you know, or the patient perspective. Uh, which is which is really important because it will often give you all the answers you're looking for as a doctor in order to help the patient. I think it's worth spending a minute or two on this because a lot of people out there are quite split on on opinions around this. So so one sort of you know school of thought is hey it doesn't really matter how the doctor communicates with you because you know if they're going to give you the right treatment who cares you'll get better. And the other school of thought, and and this is, you know, from patients as well as uh, clinical team members, is that actually someone who is patient-centred, as in, you know, they're listening, they value the patient's experience is much better in terms of outcomes. But clearly, there's no point in having, you know, uh, someone treating you who's really nice and really patient-centred if they don't know what they're doing. So, obviously, you need a full set of skills to make a really good clinician who's going to get you better. I think one of the real difficulties for people trying to learn their craft, whatever kind of service you're offering, whether you are a doctor, a dentist, a physiotherapist, or other kind of practitioner, is when you're actually learning medicine, for example, you're holding a lot of medical knowledge in your head. But the way that you glean information from the patient that you're trying to help is obviously through the use of words, communicating with them. And so you just forget how to, you know, talk naturally. It takes so much skill. It takes years to sort of have a normal kind of conversation and then amalgamate what the patient's telling you into some something that's medical in your head to come up with a plan. And I think that's where that kind of digital type of communication which gives you yes no answers like we used to do in the very early years in hospital medicine it's like have you got any allergies have you ever had any illnesses have you had you know and it's like yes no yes no that was just 
the only sort of easy way to get information that was important, but it's not particularly human. Whereas if you just let the patient tell you their story, you'll get most of that information out of them. What I find is really interesting is actually there's a, there's a there's a particular point where that mastery happens. Um, I remember years ago I had to take my son to A&E and we had three sets of people take the story from us and the person who did it best, so there was a doctor, there was a nurse and there was a healthcare assistant and uh, the healthcare assistant by far did the best job because she was the most human and actually got all the information that we needed that she needed rather um, very very quickly and elegantly without going into loads of jargon and detail uh, it's fascinating actually to watch and 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 in a way I, I think you know if you're inquisitive that you know and, and you you sort of use that childish part of your brain just to to get information from the person you're trying to help that that often works really well I think also that human connection lends itself to better shared decision making so in the doctor centered model where doctor knows best and all of that stuff the patient really doesn't get much say in what's going on and and that's not really acceptable because any decision whether it's prescribing a drug or having surgery or making changes to your lifestyle needs both the practitioner and the patient on board uh, you cannot really come to a decision unless of course it's something absolutely life-threatening where someone's had a cardiac arrest and you need to give them immediate resuscitation um, I think there is a real case for making sure that decisions that are agreed are agreed you know they are agreed it's a it's a two-way street it's not just one way and that's why patient-centeredness is so important I think the other thing that's changed and I'm very sad about is that it's difficult to maintain continuity these days so many of you listening to this will remember the days when you only had one doctor uh, when you were growing up and you were used to this particular person serving your health needs I certainly remember mine, um, my family doctor who looked after my parents and myself when I was young and my brother and, and when he retired, um, you know, my parents were grieving for quite a while. It was it was almost like a bereavement because they were so attached to him and they trusted him so much. Now that's great, but uh, we are in a, a brave new world now and that new world, pandemic or not, um, is really about working in teams and what that means is that it's not always possible to have continuity with the same person but what you have to trust in is that there's continuity of record so I often say to um, relatives and patients that you know don't don't think of us as one person think of us as a team we we all have access to your record we're all part of the same team we're all trying to do the same thing I do appreciate if you've got very complex health needs you do need continuity with one person and I think it's always best to try and achieve that. I'm a massive fan of continuity of care because you don't have to run through your whole story again and you have trust in that practitioner to do the best for you. I mean it, of course it depends on where you are in the world and I'm very much talking from the lens of an NHS GP um, and you know times are difficult when it comes to preserving that continuity but 
you know, people who need it should re- really get it if possible. Also, the way that we consult has changed, as I intimated at the beginning of this episode. We consult by video, by phone, um, and, and we've been forced into doing that much more so because of the pandemic. And so actually being able to just make an appointment to see your doctor is much harder now because most places use some form of triage. And that means that a reception team member will often ask you why you want to access medical help. Now, that may seem like a barrier and it does upset a lot of people who who often think, well, hang on, it's none of your business. I, I just want advice, some medical advice. Um, but it really is to help you because sometimes you, you know, I, I've had instances where people have booked in to see me face to face. This is many years ago because they wanted advice on travel jabs. I know very little about them because that's what our practice nurses are experts at. So it was a total waste of you know, his time and my time. Um, so it, it it avoids that. So there is some reasoning behind why that is something that has, has, has sort of come in, in in recent years. It's a silly observation, really, but one observation I would make is that obviously there's no visible waiting room when you're consulting on the phone or by video. Um, and so often consultations run on for a lot longer, whereas actually if you're physically coming in for a face-to-face appointment and the waiting room is packed, you might sort of um, take take a bit less time because you feel a bit more time pressure. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, but it's just something I've noticed during the course of the pandemic so far. When it comes to working out which type of communication to use, so places that offer e-consulting or online forms, you know, if you want something like a blood form, that's probably a really easy way to do it because you don't need to talk to anyone about it. Um, or for things like sick notes and the like. When it comes to telephone, video or in person, I think if it's an issue that's not very difficult or complex um, or or hard to talk about, because some things really are and they take time, um, particularly when it comes to mental health. Um, But if it's something that's really straightforward in inverted commas, although although nothing ever is really, is it, until um, you've unpacked it, what I would say is just get straight to the point because the acute stuff like a swollen joint or a red eye or acute infection needs clear information and quite a quick assessment and treatment. With ongoing problems where something's chronic or as we get older we tend to develop more and more issues that affect us. Now those ones, if possible, need continuity. And as I um, explained before, ideally you want the same person. Nowadays, harder to achieve that. So just trust in that continuity of record and that you've got a team that are looking after you who will be able to see what's been written in your notes and what's come before. So give whoever you're talking to a really quick potted summary if you can of the story. It it can be quite difficult because I've got several patients who've got such a complicated story. So for example, one that springs to mind is someone who has high blood pressure but just cannot tolerate any group of tablets apart from one. And so when her blood pressure goes up, uh, another practitioner may try and 
add in another medication, but of course that's going to make her feel very ill. And it's important that that's documented and flagged on her notes in case she rings about that. So that's the kind of thing I mean about continuity. And if, if you've got anything like that in your own health history, it's worth flagging that quickly. So when I think about myself as a patient, of course we're, we're all patients, how do I go about it? Well, a lot of you are probably thinking, well, you're a doctor, it's easier for you. But actually it's not. You have to let someone else do the doctoring bit and let them help you. What I tend to do is I tell them the problem at hand, what I'm worried it is, uh, what you might call ideas, concerns and expectations, you know, what I think it is, what I'm worried about and what I would like them to help me with or like them to do about it. And then follows a discussion around that um, and coming up with a plan that both myself and the doctor or practitioner that I'm consulting with is happy. It's not a bad framework in terms of accessing help. Finally, I just want to finish with a little story. Many years ago, when I first started as a GP, um, an elderly gentleman came in to my room and uh, really came just for a medication review. So back in those days, you didn't need to tell the reception team why you needed an appointment and he came in and it was purely a quick medication review he was on one blood pressure tablet and I said is there anything else I can help you with and he was oh no one's ever asked me that before um and just as he was leaving the room he said actually doctor there is this one thing when I mow the lawn or when I go upstairs I get this pain that comes into my chest and goes up into my neck and down my arm that's nothing to worry about is it and clearly that's a symptom of angina which means he's probably got heart disease so anyway I sent him off to have loads of tests and sure enough he had a blockage in one of his coronary arteries which he had stented um, and fixed effectively and then I um, saw him again every few weeks initially um, he lived on his own and then when I um said, look, um, everything is looking good, your blood tests are fine, I'll see you in six months' time for a review. He he looked really sad, and, and as he was leaving, he, he looked a bit tearful, as in, what, and he said to me, well, you, you don't want to see me again in, in, in two weeks' time? And I felt so sorry for him. And I said, look, you know, I, I'd love to, but I think you'll be absolutely fine, um, and I'll see you in six months. And actually now... What I realised, back then we didn't have health coaching, we didn't have social prescribing, and this chap was lonely. He was lonely, and and I just remember thinking, what can I help him with? And, and you know, he was a recluse in some ways, didn't really want to engage in any community groups that were around at the time. Yeah, just an anecdote about the kind of things that we see in general practice and also that actually for someone like that gentleman now there is is help in the form of social prescribing and health coaching that would definitely have benefited him back then. So we are really lucky. There are other services out there now um, which really, really augment uh, what we do in, in, in primary care medicine in general practice. 
Okay, so I've wibbled on again. I'm sorry, that was a long episode, almost 20 minutes. Um, I hope that's been of some use to you. Have a look at the show notes because there are some great links there that may be of interest. And please leave me some feedback. Good, if possible, if you've enjoyed it. I hope to connect with you again very soon. Meanwhile, do stay well and take care. And I will be with you again very soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.